As you've heard, we have a uh, guest speaker this morning. Uh, it's going to be Nate Miller. Uh, Nate is a very dear friend of mine. We grew up together uh, over at the Central Church of Christ and more. Uh, Nate chose to go to the Bear Valley Bible Institute in January of 2018. Uh, while he was a student there, he married Katie Swafford from the Highland Church of Christ in Tecumseh. After he graduated from Bear Valley uh, in December of 2019, he began work as a domestic missionary in Huron, South Dakota, and that's a work that we've been supporting. Uh, they have two sons, Sam and Andy, and they're doing a great work. Uh, Nate is a, a wonderful guy. He's an excellent speaker, and I think you're going to enjoy getting to hear him today. Uh, so without further ado, Nate, preach the word. Good morning. I'm supposed to turn this on and not forget to, so it's on. I want to start by saying I uh, deeply appreciate this congregation. Uh, you guys have been with me for a long time now and supporting me, uh, not only through school some of the way, but also into um, my mission work in South Dakota. So I dearly, deeply appreciate uh, you guys, and I don't want that to go unsaid. This morning we are going to talk about being steadfast. The, the word steadfast might be a word that is not in our vocabulary, uh, but the word steadfast, it means firm. It means to, to keep going. It carries the idea of enduring. Even whenever we're tired, even whenever we want to quit, even whenever we feel like we can't go any further, we're, we're firm, we're confident, we keep going, we grit our teeth, and we put one foot in front of the other. That's what it means to be steadfast or enduring, confident, unwavering. Uh, I want to tell you a story. A couple, I guess a couple weeks ago now, we were camping, my family was camping in Colorado, and we decided to go on, me and my wife and my, my brother-in-law and sister, we decided to go climb a 14er, a 14,000-foot mountain. And I think we really, I know for sure, I underestimated the, the challenge that this was going to be. I was like, I'm, you know, I'm decently fit. I, we, can, we can do a 14er. That's tough. <laughs> Uh, a 16-mile hike at 12 to 14,000 feet of elevation, that's no joke. So we did the hike. We're about eight miles in. We woke up at 4.30 in the morning, um, and, and I remember on our way back down to the car, uh, we, it's about probably one in the afternoon. We're getting really low on water. Our food is almost gone, and my lungs are burning. My legs are burning. My feet are hurting. Man, I've been up all day since, you know, since 4.30, rain clouds are starting to roll in. And there were times in that hike where I just, I very honestly wanted to throw my backpack off and I just wanted to stop. <laughs> I wanted to quit. My feet hurt. I was, I was just about done. But what were we going to do? Were we going to lay there and, and die and wait for a helicopter or a bear to come get us? I don't know. We had one option, put one foot in front of the other, put our backpack on and just keep going. That's what it means to be steadfast. Another example of being steadfast is uh, on Friday, we took a 12-hour car ride from South Dakota to Oklahoma City with two 16-month-old boys. That will challenge your endurance um, and your steadfastness. And I have gotten very familiar with these long, long car rides, and now I've become very familiar with long car rides with kids. There are a few things that will challenge your endurance and your steadfastness like that will. 
There are times, it's whenever you cross the Kansas to Oklahoma border, and you're like, all right, we're in Oklahoma, but there's a long way from Kansas, from that Oklahoma border to Oklahoma City. It's about two and a half hours, and there are times in those two and a half hours where you're so close, but you're so far. And I want to pull up, there, there's times where I just want to, let's just get a hotel. Let's pull over, let's get a hotel. That's unreasonable. Let's just keep going. That's what it means to be steadfast, to grit your teeth, to, to turn on some loud music, to roll the windows down if you need to, and to just keep going. That's being steadfast. Now, I'm sure that we've all had a situation in our lives where our steadfastness has been challenged in a, in a physical sense like this. Um, I remember, this is, this is not a picture of that hike, but it's a similar view of what we had. There's this point on our way back when we, when we looked over this ridge and we see a little road way out in the distance. You're like, that's where we got to go. We got to get there. Man, it's tough. We've all had a, a time in our lives where our steadfastness has been challenged. Maybe it's a long car ride. Maybe it's a hike. Uh, maybe it is a, a, a death in the family or some grieving that you've gone through. Our steadfastness, our endurance, our confidence is challenged physically and emotionally and mentally all the time. But what we're going to talk about this morning is our spiritual steadfastness. Our spiritual steadfastness is challenged day in and day out. And we go through these, these seasons in our life where, where maybe our, our steadfastness is just not there. Maybe you have gone through a time in your spiritual walk, if we compare this to a spiritual hike, maybe you've been at a spot in your, in your spiritual walk where you're just, you just want to quit. You're wavering, you're tired, you're, you're tempted, you're suffering, you feel like your, your drive and your, your vigor and your passion is gone when it comes to spiritual things, and you just want to quit. That's what this lesson is about this morning. Maybe you're there this morning. Maybe you've, you've pulled yourself into the church building and you've, you've plopped down in the pew, but your, your heart and your passion, you're wavering and you're not confident and you're not, you're not steadfast. This lesson is for you. My, my goal, uh, by, by the time we finish studying this morning, my goal is that we can feel a little bit more refreshed. There were times in this hike where, man, we're tired, we're thirsty, we're hungry, we're, we're hurting, we're, we've been up since 4.30, and we can hardly breathe, and so we would stop for a second, and we would catch a little break. We would throw our backpacks off, we would sit down, we would chug a little bit of water, we would drink some Gatorade, get a bite of beef jerky, and we could have some fruity snacks. Don't forget the fruity snacks. And I'd pop up, and I'd say, okay, let's go. I'm ready. I'm ready to do this. Let's, let's finish this thing. I hope that this lesson is that little, that little break for you, where you can get a little bit of water and a little bit of beef jerky, and you can pop up at the end of this lesson, you can say, let's keep going. I'm, I, I have a breath of fresh air. I'm ready to keep pushing. So uh, if, if this lesson is a, a bite of beef jerky and some fruity snacks to you on this spiritual walk, I'm, I hope that's what it is. All that being said, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, and Hebrews chapter 10 is going to push us to keep going, to be steadfast. In the way that Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to study verses 19 through 39, we're going to see three reasons, or, or sorry, three ways how to be steadfast. We asked this, this Hebrews writer, how do I be steadfast? You want me to be steadfast? You want me to keep going? Okay, how do I do that? Give me some steps. That's what we're going to see. Three ways how to be steadfast. And then, as we keep going, we're going to see three reasons why to be steadfast. Okay, you told me to be steadfast. You give me three kind of instructions. How, but what's the point? Why should I be steadfast? 
So this text is going to give us three ways how to be steadfast and then three reasons why to be steadfast. So let's start in Hebrews chapter 10 and we're going to start in verse 19 and we're going to go through verse 25. I'm not going to read all of this, but we're going to kind of section it out and I want to give you in this text, we're going to see these three ways how to be steadfast. And these three ways how to be steadfast come right from these three let us statements. This Hebrew writer tells these Hebrews people, he, said, he gives three commands. He says, let us do this, let us do this, and then let us do this. And from these three let us commands, we get these three ways how, these, these steps, these instructions of how we are going to be steadfast. This first one is verse 22. Sorry, I can't see the back screen, so I'm, I'm looking back here. It says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And the point of this is that we need to be steadfast. How do I be steadfast? By trusting in the blood of Jesus. So we're going to unpack this a little bit and I'll tell you how we get this out of verse 22. This word let us or this phrase, or sorry, this phrase draw near is a very interesting phrase. Um, we, we translate the phrase draw near out of one Greek word. And I used to think, and, and I used to believe, and whenever I read this, this idea of drawing near, it's, it's kind of just this feeling of I feel close to God. You know, I've drawn near to God, and it's kind of this mushy-gushy feeling of I feel close to God. And it's not. It's not this mushy-gushy feeling at all, but rather this word, let us draw near, that, that word draw near is a salvation word. And it, it is the idea of we are, we're over here, and we're this unholy, sinful, sinful people, and God is over here on this side, and he is holy, and he is righteous, and he is perfect, and drawing near is moving from point A sinful and lost and and unholy to point B, which is I'm able to stand in the presence of this holy God where he sees me as accepted and perfected and and holy and and having received his grace and mercy and forgiveness and salvation. So so whenever we see draw near, we do not need to think this, this mushy feeling of I feel close to God today. That's not what it means. It means you've gone from this, this position of I have no place with God to I can stand in his presence and be accepted and perfected and holy and blameless having received his grace and his mercy. And the reason we know that is we can trace this phrase draw near back through the book of Hebrews. We see it in 7, 20, see the 25 or 26. We see it in chapter 4, verse 16. We can even trace it further back into the Old Testament. It talks about priests drawing near to God, receiving his mercy and his forgiveness and his salvation. So he tells these Hebrew people to draw near to God with a true heart in full assurance. This whole point centers around the idea of being fully assured. These Hebrew people, the idea here is that these Hebrew people, what they used to do under the old system they were under, the way that they got from point A to drawing near to God and having been received salvation and forgiveness is they used this sacrificial system. They would have this priest and the priest would dress up all fancy and go in once a year to the holy place and he would take some blood and he would sprinkle it. It was this huge, um, very intricate system 
that they had to use, and that system is what drew them near to God and allowed them to stand before God as being holy and blameless. And so that system has changed. And this Hebrews writer is telling these people, what you need to do is be assured that now what draws you near is the blood of Jesus. It's not this old sacrificial system that draws you near. It's this blood of Jesus that draws you near. That's where we see verse 19 through verse 21. It says, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. It's not the blood of these bulls and goats and making sure the priest goes in every year, but now the blood of Jesus draws you from here to here. And you need to be assured of that. These Hebrew people were having some serious problems, some serious confidence problems. You can imagine them carrying the baggage from the old system to the new system. And I can imagine them sitting there saying, okay, so, so what you're telling me is we used to draw near to God and become in this saved relationship with God because we had this priest and we went in once a year and, and we, did, we, we got to see it. We got to see the blood sprinkled. It was all right there in front of us and that's what drew us near. But what you're telling me is now we just put our trip. This one guy died and he bled and it was the son of God and you're telling me that all I have to do is just trust in that blood, that that blood somehow gets me from here to here? And the writer's saying, yes. You need to be fully assured that that is the way it works. I can imagine them sitting there saying, so we don't have to have a priest? You're telling me that we, we don't have to go every year? You're telling me that there's no bulls? or go- You're telling me that it's just about the blood of Jesus? Absolutely. And you can be assured. You see, they had this baggage that they carried that what took them from point A to point B is, is the blood of Jesus. That's, that's so hard to believe because they're used to this old system. They weren't assured. They were not confident that the blood of Jesus brought them into this saved relationship with God. And I think we struggle with the same thing. Now, we carry this baggage as well, and it's not because we're under this old sacrificial system. We don't carry the baggage of that We were never under the old sacrificial system, so we don't carry that baggage. But I can speak for myself, and if this relates to you, we'll let it relate. If it doesn't, then then that's fine too. Growing up in in conservative Christianity, which I'm sure many of of us have, the baggage that I carry and why I lose confidence is I believe that what draws me from here to here, how I draw near to God, it's not a priest, I've never messed with all that, but... It's my works. It's my obedience. It's me, you know, I show up to Sunday morning and I get a little bit closer. And Sunday night, that was pretty good too, so I get a little bit closer. And Wednesday night, man, now I'm really cooking. But I slipped up. I messed up today. I'm back to square one. I'll try again tomorrow. I go to Sunday morning. I go to Sunday night. I read my Bible. I read my Bible three days in a row and that gets me close, but I slip up back here at square one. And we, we are so unconfident and we're not assured because we think that what brings us from A to B from lost into this being able to stand before God having been received salvation is is how good we can do and the Hebrew writer says it is with the blood of Jesus that does that he says whenever your bodies were washed in pure water and you were sprinkled clean that's a direct reference to baptism what he's saying is whenever you were baptized in this water, what happened is your bodies were sprinkled clean. Your soul, they were sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. And so you, that is what brings you near to God. It's not your works. I remember as a kid thinking um, that, and even I say as a kid, even into my <laughs> recently, that 
man, I'm doing good, but if I sin, I sin today, and, and I hope I don't die today because, man, I'm not going to be at a good spot. So I'm going to sleep, I'm going to reset, and we'll try again tomorrow, and we'll see how close I can draw near. We're not assured. We're not assured that what draws us near is the blood of Jesus. And whenever we live our lives thinking that I'm going to get to judgment day and we'll see how the cards land, we're always going to be at a distance from God. Because our works don't draw us near, the blood of Jesus draws us near. That is what he's telling these Hebrew people. So, how do I be steadfast? By trusting in the blood of Jesus. By being sure that what brings you near, whenever you were washed in this pure water, you were sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, and that brings you from this unholy state to being able to stand before the Lord as pure and clean and blameless, having received his mercy and his grace. Now, I want to be very clear. What I'm not saying, what I'm not saying is that we get, we're off the hook when it comes to obedience. That's not true. And the Hebrews writer is going to have something very serious to say about obedience in just a second. So what I'm not saying is we're off the hook and we're just trusting the blood and we're good to go. That's not what the Hebrews writer is saying. What he is saying is if we believe what brings us from here to here is what we do, we're always going to be in this distant, half-hearted relationship with God. But if we believe what brings us from here into this saved relationship with God is the blood of Jesus, we can take it to the bank that the blood of Jesus does not fail. So how do I be steadfast? Trust the blood of Jesus. This leads us right into point number two, the second let us statement. He says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering because he who promised is faithful. So step number two, I'll call them steps. How do I be steadfast? You need to hold fast. That's the, the idea of holding on, holding on tightly to our hope. Because he who promised us that hope is faithful. I'll tell you another story about this idea of holding on to hope. Uh, I remember, I'm a big hypochondriac. This is kind of a recent thing. I have some w- wicked health anxiety. Um, and it started, it really started whenever Katie became pregnant with the twins. Um, and with being, having twins, there were some minor uh, complications or some things we, we had to watch closely. And so we lived two hours away from this, the, the nearest hospital, or the, the nearest big hospital. We have a hospital in our town. But we had to drive two hours to, to Sioux Falls to talk to a specialist. Um, while Katie was pregnant, for, for a while it was every two weeks we had to go. And then for a while it was every week we had to go see this, this specialist. But every two weeks... We had to go and we had to see this specialist. We had to do an ultrasound, this very in-depth ultrasound, and make sure that everything was, was good in the way it was supposed to and the boys were healthy. And me, having severe health anxiety, this drive to Sioux Falls was torture. Sitting there and, and tapping my foot and biting my nails. If you, you, can see, you're, you can see my nails if you want to after this lesson, and you can see how bad my health anxiety is. Chewing my nails... And I mean, I'm nervous, out of my mind, can't think straight, just debilitated in fear of what is this doctor going to say? What are they going to find? Is he going to be okay? I'm thinking worst case scenario things. I, maybe you've, you've been there. And we get there. We get into this waiting room. And I hate that waiting room. I'll never forget that waiting room. We sit there and we go back and the ultrasound tech does the ultrasound. And it seems like it lasts 100 years. And I'm just nervous, out of my mind. She finishes. She leaves the room. And the doctor comes in. And this is like the moment. What is this doctor going to say? I am freaked out of my mind, so nervous. And the doctor says, everything looks good. You're good. Everything's perfect. 
nothing to worry about. And, and with my anxiety, I needed him to say the statement, you have nothing to worry about. Don't worry about anything. And so if he didn't say those words at the end of the appointment, I would say, do I have anything to worry about? And he'd say, nope, nothing to worry about. Man, I could take a breath. I could enjoy this two-hour car ride back home. We could stop and get something to eat. And I could just, I could just enjoy it. And I remember during, a, you know, between these appointments, as I would start to worry, I would, I would start to think worst case scenario. I would, I would start to, to have these, probably nearly these anxiety attacks. But what could I hold on to? I could hold on so tight. And I did hang on so tight until my knuckles were white. That doctor said, there's nothing to worry about. And I knew that that doctor, he went to school for, for 12 years. He's not, he sees ultrasounds every day. He's not going to lie to me. That doctor is faithful. And that's the idea here. Is whenever we're questioning where our standing is with God, we're questioning, is this all worth it? We're questioning, we can hang on tight to our hope because the one who promised us that hope is faithful. And we trust these doctors. I remember me and Trey got to know each other pretty well at camp. And I, could, I trusted that doctor, man, because he's a doctor. You trust that. We trust doctors, but when it comes to trusting Jesus, we waver. The one who promised is faithful, and we can hold on tight to our hope. We can hold on to the hope because the one who gave us that hope does not fail. So step number two, how do I be steadfast? Trust in the blood of Jesus. Whenever you're wondering, where, were you washed in the blood? Is that blood? Has that blood sprinkled you clean? It's not about how good you do, but it's about hanging on to that hope that Jesus washed me in his blood. Number three, He says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another as all the more you see the day drawing near. The idea with this word consider, let us consider one another, the idea is to think deeply, to deeply examine, and we're supposed to deeply examine each other. So the point is, we, if we're going to be steadfast, we have to be together. We are never going to be steadfast and unwavering if we're never together. We need to consider one another. And we're not just supposed to meet together and, and you know, aimlessly sit in the pew and check it off our box, but we're supposed to think about how I can stir up Kyle. Is Kyle struggling? Can, can I stir him up? I need some help. Can he push me into good works? How can we consider and think about one another whenever we're here? A lot of times Hebrews 10, 24, 25 is used, is wielded in, in a very dangerous way. I don't know if you've ever heard it used this way. Some people, you know, they miss, they miss a, a morning or an evening service of church and you go Hebrews 10, 24, 25, boom. Make sure you're here next week so you don't go to hell. That's not what this verse is talking about. This verse is saying we need each other. The question I want to ask you is can we stumble into the doors every time the doors are open, but never actually think carefully about one another? Absolutely. We can get here and we can fill a pew, but never think about how I can, how I can push Russ to be better and how he can push me to be better. That's what this verse is talking about. The other side of that same coin is we cannot successfully stir one another up and think about one another if we make it a habit of, of missing church. So, we need to be here whenever the doors are open, not to check it off our list, but because I need you and you need me. This became very real to me. Hebrews 10, 24, 25 became very real to me 
whenever I moved from a 350-member congregation to a nine-member congregation. It got so real that it's easy to, to slip through the cracks in a 350-member congregation and to sit there and, and let it, you know, check it off the list. But whenever there's, there's 10 people in this building, every person that comes into that building, I need that. And you need me. New Christians, sometimes they miss. And there's this one lady that she's a, she's a new Christian and she's, she's trying and she's struggling. We baptized her about a, a year and a half ago. And she, she normally comes in a couple minutes late and I'm up there preaching and, and I see the door open and she walks in. Man, that, that is the best. Then there's other times where I'm preaching and I'm waiting for her to pull up. I'm waiting to see her little Prius pull up and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And if she doesn't walk in, that kills me. That's what this is about is we need each other. So how do we be steadfast? You need to trust in the blood of Jesus. Because if you're, if you're trusting in your works and your goodness to get you from point A to point B with God, you're always going to be in this distant, half-hearted relationship with God. Trust in the blood to draw you near. Two, hold on to that hope. Hold on to the hope that Jesus is coming back to get his children. And then three, think carefully about one another. How can, I put, how can we push each other to be better? And that means be together whenever it's, there's an opportunity to be together. Okay, these last three points are going to go uh, quicker. And we're going to take bigger chunks of the text. Um, so the next section is why do we be steadfast? What's the point of all of this? Why do I be steadfast? We're going to read 26 through 31. And I want you to pay attention to the, the harsh language of this section. It says, For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for our sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant, which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Some people will say, you know, like we talked about earlier, it's just about trusting in the blood and I don't have to, you know, it's, I can trust in the blood and I'm good to go. The writer says here, if we go on sinning deliberately, there, that blood it doesn't cover us any longer. A lot of people say that um, God doesn't want to scare us into obedience. And I, I agree. I understand the sentiment of what they're going. But if you read this, my Bible teaches this is scary. And it makes me want to be obedient. I think God does want to scare us into being obedient. Now, there's another side of that we're going to look at. But God wants us to know that hell is so real. That it is a fearful thing. The wrath of God is horrifying. And we do not want the punishment. And therefore, we should try our best to be as obedient as possible. Now, this is a scary text to read. If we go on sinning deliberately, there no longer uh, it remains a, a sacrifice for our sins. I think the, the question that we need to ask and what we need to understand is the difference, and I'm doing my very best, but I slipped up because I'm human and I'm imperfect, versus I'm sinning deliberately and I'm not trying anymore and I don't care. There's a big difference in that. And 
I don't know what that line is for you. I know what it is for me. And I think I know that God knows our hearts and we know our hearts. We know whenever we're doing our best, but we, we just slipped and I don't care anymore and I've gone on sinning deliberately. So, so why should I be steadfast in this, this hike of our spiritual walk? Why do I need to be steadfast? Because hell is real. Severe punishment awaits the wavering. Number two, you've come this far. He says, recall the former days. So he's talking to these Hebrews. They've been Christians for a while. But he says, recall the former days. Uh, think back uh, a while ago. And after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. Sometimes being partners with those who were treated, who were so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. What he's saying here is recall the former days. Think back a little bit. Think back a while ago whenever you first became Christians and you suffered. You went through some stuff. Your, your property was plundered. I imagine it was these Jews that came in and just ransacked these new Christians' house because they believed in Jesus. You, you suffered. Sometimes it was publicly that you were, you were brought out into the square and you were beaten. You were, you were friends with those who were beaten, thrown into prison. You had compassion. You suffered. You went through some stuff whenever you first became Christians. And whenever you look back on that, what do you realize? You made it through. You made it through and you're here and that is a reason to keep going. Think back to what you've gone through and you've made it through. So keep going. I was, we were watching a movie the other day. It's called Facing the Giants. It's a, it's a feel-good football movie. Um, and this, this underdog team, spoiler alert, they made it to state just like all sports movies go. This underdog team, they made it to state and it was, they were playing the best team in the, uh, in the state and it was halftime, and they were down just a couple of points. And the coach in the, the locker room, we all love a good feel-good sports movie. In the locker room, he was giving this halftime speech. And he said, listen, guys, you, you've gone through some stuff this season. He says, you weren't supposed to win a game, but you did. You weren't supposed to make it to playoffs, but you did. You weren't supposed to go to regionals, but you did. You weren't supposed to make it to state, but you're here. You weren't supposed to score a point on this other team, but you have. You've come this far. You can push through for 30 more minutes of football. You can keep going. And in our lives, in our spiritual lives, if we're struggling and we're wavering and we're saying, I don't know if I can go any further, what the writer says to do is to look back a little bit. Look at what you've gone through. You became a Christian, you trusted in the blood of Jesus, you were baptized, you walked into the church for the first time, you're here this morning, look at all the, the spiritual accomplishments that you've, you've made it through. You made it through. You can keep going a little bit further. Look how far you've come. You've come this far and that is a reason to keep going. And the very last one, 36 through 39 of Hebrews 10, because reward awaits the faithful. This is on the other side of hell is real. Well, heaven is real too. Reward is real, just like punishment is real. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet in a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. My righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But, if we, are not, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have, a faith, who have faith and preserve their souls. 
Why should we keep going? Because God is coming back to bring his children to their reward. Heaven is so real. My, my encouragement to you is on these, these three reasons why. If you're feeling like you're wavering, if you're feeling like you just can't go any further, if you're so tempted, you're struggling, you're, you're just having a hard time and you don't know if this whole Christianity thing is even worth it anymore, sit down and write out. All, look up in a concordance or on the internet all the verses you can find about hell and write those down. Write them out. Then write about all the spiritual accomplishments. Write about how far you've come. Write about what you used to be like and the maturity that you've seen and how far you've come. Then find all the verses about heaven. There are whole chapters in the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22, about heaven. Write those out. And if you look at that, man, you will have some encouragement to keep going. That's a reason why. So, we need to be steadfast. Even whenever we think we just can't go any further, whenever we can't do it, whenever we want to throw our backpack off and just quit and get eaten by a bear in this spiritual life, we need to trust in the blood of Jesus. That it's not about me and how good I do to bring me from A to B. Jesus did that for me. Hold on to our hope. Think carefully. Be together. I need you and you need me. Think about punishment awaits those who are unfaithful. Think about how far we've come, but also think about that reward awaits the faithful. We have every reason and every instruction of how to be steadfast. And it's not easy, but it's possible because Jesus has done the work for us. Because we have reward. We have each other. Maybe this morning you're sitting here and and you're just, you've thrown your backpack off and you can hardly go and you're just struggling in this spiritual walk. I hope that after reading Hebrews 10, and I hope you'll revisit Hebrews 10. Go home and read Hebrews 10, 19 through 39, and I hope that's a little bit of a bite of beef jerky, uh, a little drink of Gatorade. You can pop up and can say, I'm ready to keep going. I'm ready to keep pushing forward. Maybe you, are, you have not been washed in the blood of Jesus this morning, and this lesson has encouraged you, or this, this text rather, has encouraged you to do so. I hope that you will, you will reach out to your brothers and sisters because that's what we're here for. We need each other. If you have a need to come forward, come forward. If you have a need to, to be steadfast and you don't need to come forward, but you need to accept the invitation right where you're sitting, accept the invitation right where you're sitting and go home and be steadfast. Grit your teeth and put one foot in front of the other. Whatever your need is, you can come now as we stand and as we sing today.